Please stand with me as I read from Isaiah 66, 7 through 14. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and in the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And this is your daughter-in-law. Yes. <laughs> it's a special day for... <laughs> yes. It's good to have Jonathan's parents here and other people visiting with us today for Mother's Day. Mother's Day has become a great <clears throat> day for mothers getting their kids out and coming to church. So we're thankful for all of you mamas that brought your children up that way and are here today in church with us. And we honor you today, uh, fulfilling the commandments right in the, the, the root of the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. So we do that today, and <clears throat> I will attempt to do it uh, for Mother's Day. As you noticed, this text from Isaiah, for those of you that don't know, we are reading the Bible together um, as a, a church and we're actually reading through Isaiah, you know, right now. So uh, we're finished, actually, with Isaiah. <clears throat> and so I looked through Isaiah to see if while we were reading that, I could, uh, you know, kind of weave together a Mother's Day sermon at the same time. And sure enough, the end of Isaiah uh, mentions mothers. Uh, Isaiah sixty-six thirteen said, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So God's comfort compared metaphorically to a mother's love. So we'll look at both of those together. Isaiah, to give you a real brief synopsis, there's kind of a section of Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 in which Isaiah is prophesying, warning the people of coming judgment because of their rebellion to God and their uh, service of, of the Baals, idols in their life, and not coming to love God. And so chapter 40 opens up with a change. They have gone off into captivity. Everything that Isaiah has prophesied has happened. 
God has raised up this great nation of Babylon and taken Israel into captivity for 70 years, and then they have, are on their return, and this is about 150 years after uh, Isaiah's life. But he's prophesied all these things and written them, and they unfold the scrolls, and they begin to see that everything Isaiah told them uh, has come true. But as Isaiah 40 opens, it opens with these words of comfort, and it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so he begins to move in this phase of uh, a change in Isaiah. When we get to Isaiah 49, he talks about the promise of this servant. We talked about this last week, this mysterious character that Isaiah begins to prophesy about, this servant that would come. In Isaiah 49, this is another scripture about comfort and about mothers, which is real similar to our text that we're in in the last chapter of Isaiah in 66. And 49, 13 through 16 says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But here's what the people say. And remember, there have been defeated by Babylon. Their homes have been burned and demolished. The temple where they met with God, God's presence came to earth to meet, has been completely obliterated, the glorious temple of Solomon. And, and it was all this devastation. So here's the response of, of Zion, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. It's the response. Maybe some of us feel that way sometimes when we're going through difficult times and feel distant with God. Maybe even suffering at the hand of, of judgment. Um, reaping what we've sowed. If, if we've sowed a life of sin, even as believers, God goes after us this way. He disciplines the son in whom he loves. And so here this has happened, but God responds when they say, my Lord has forgotten me. And he says, can a woman forget her nursing child? This is the image of, of the metaphor of, of God and God saying of himself, having that motherly love. They say there's no stronger bond than, than a, a mother's love for her child. And here that image is there along with our text today. Um, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. But then God says, even these may forget. And we see around us this coming true. Um, and some of us have suffered that loss and that grief of having a good mom. But even if these may forget, God says, yet I will not forget. So he is like uh, a mom, but yet a good mom. And in that imagery, in that metaphor of that type of love. And then verse 16 says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So he's looking at the walls of, of Zion too. And he's using that imagery of a city, a place that is like who he looks toward. When he's looking toward cities, he's looking toward his people. And 
it's, it's sometimes hard to read the prophets because they use metaphors and imagery, and it's hard to like, what did that just say? You know, and I don't know if you've ever wrote, read poetry, but uh, it's the same way. It takes you actually reading it over and over and over and over again, and then maybe learning about the, the poetry writer and try to learn what they're trying to say to even understand. And a lot of people don't read poetry anymore because it's like, well, I'll just write something clear. I don't want to do all that, go through that effort. But it actually can be very beautiful. And when you delve into it, it can be very glorious. And Isaiah writes that same way, and so do the prophets. But we see this metaphor of the love uh, of a mother uh, compared and metaphorically to the love that God has for us. And it's very beautiful. And then this theme continues. One of the things we've been looking at is themes that run all the way through. So this imagery like this continues in the New Testament. And in one place, looking at the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, he's creating that imagery, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I think this is hitting on the point of the, the great love of God and the greatest love that a mother can give to her child and the greatest love we can give anyone is to share the good news of Jesus with them and to share our lives with them. Those two things. And the Apostle Paul is saying that's what we did. We loved you like a nursing mother cares for her children. We shared the gospel with you. We delighted to do that. There was joy in sharing who Jesus is, his death, burial, and resurrection with you. But we also just loved living amongst you, being a part of your lives, and sharing your lives as well. And I just um, praise you as a church and a body for doing that well, for loving one another and sharing your lives with me and I with you and you with each other in this church. It's a great thing for me to be a part of has been very important in my life and my own spiritual growth, and I hope it has been yours as well. So we see in this text this metaphor of God's comfort, like that of a mother towards her child. And the Lord builds this metaphor in, and he begins saying, before she was in labor, Jerusalem gave birth. You see these imagery, how can a city give birth? And How can they be in uh, labor, not be in labor, and yet bring forth birth? Uh, How can she then, 11, his people look forward uh, uh, to an intimate relationship? We see this intimacy of of motherhood, but then it closes with uh, not only this beautiful imagery of of a mother, but this last verse that most of us would rather skip over, but it's all through Um, Isaiah, and it's mentioned three different times in this final chapter uh, about this indignation that will be shown to God's enemies. Yeah, that's in there too. Yeah, that will be difficult to look at today. Uh, The last chapter of Isaiah is still filled with, just like all of Isaiah is, with promise, great hope, this nurturing mother, but also of warning. Is there comfort in that also? And what's interesting is when you look into this word in the Hebrew of comfort, it was puzzling to me uh, because I said, how can this uh, final closing part of the Scripture 
have to do with God's indignation being shown to his enemies. And looking at the definition, uh, comfort means to sigh, breathe strongly, to be sorry for, to console. Most of the, okay, comfort, 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 understand that. And then it says to avenge in the meaning of comfort. And I asked Teresa, I was like, would you see it comforting in any way for, for there to be, uh, you know, avenging? And she goes, yeah, if you were defending me from my enemies, that would be very comforting for me. You know, I would love that. So I was like, okay, comfort, avenging, protecting, love protecting, okay. And so I begin to dig into that. So as we look at this text, I want you to know where we're, where we're at and where we're headed to some good intimacy with God and also trying to figure out maybe a little bit of that too. So please hang with me as we dig into the scripture. So before she was in labor, verse 7 in our text, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered. So the question immediately arises. This is flowing pretty well because this question says, who's heard of such a thing? No, that's not the way childbirth happens. Uh, you have, uh, you know, if any of you have been through it, mamas or husbands with your wives, uh, the pain comes first and the labor comes first. And there's sometimes a long period of that before the child. But they're saying there's this, this reversal. That doesn't happen there. And so the question comes up, who has seen such things? And then here is kind of a key to this metaphor that Isaiah is mentioning. What does this mean? He says, shall a land be born in a day? So something is going to be birthed without labor, without pain. And it's going to be a land. Like a child's born in a day, it'll be a land born in a day. And then even more specifically, not just a land, but shall a nation be brought forth? In one moment, so this mother, Jerusalem, this city of God, this people of God, God is using to bring forth a nation that will be brought forth in a moment, a land that will be born in a day. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Again, Zion and Jerusalem can be interchangeable. They're the city of God. They're the people of God, the people of Zion, the people of Jerusalem. And both of those words, when you use the word Israel, it's in the male form of the word. So when God's talking about Israel, his beloved, he's in the male form. But all the time when it uses Jerusalem or Zion, it's in the feminine form. And I think that fits with our text today in that Isaiah is talking about Jerusalem, a city, giving birth, and it's feminine, and it's feminine talking and comparing God to giving birth to this new nation that will be brought forth in a moment, suddenly. No, no, like, you know, not a lot, a lot of warning, not a lot of child uh, labor pains and, and, and all of that, just coming forth suddenly. So shall... And then this is God speaking, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? So this is God doing it. God's bringing it to this point of birth without labor pains, without um, labor and or pain. And he's doing something here. 
something with his plan. This is his plan. It's being revealed through Isaiah, his prophet. He's doing, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? I'm going to not just bring it right up to that point, but I'm going to cause it to happen too, says the Lord. And he repeats a similar phrase to that. Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb? Like I'm bringing forth and then say, no womb, don't bring forth this birth of this new nation. And the answer to those things are no, no, God, he's, he's working this plan out. He's going to deliver it. He's bringing this new birth, and he is going to deliver it, says your God. And then verse 10 says, so rejoice with Jerusalem. He's doing this in the center uh, of Jerusalem. So there is an actual city we know, Jerusalem. He's doing that through a geographical city, a place, and he's doing something unique. He's bringing forth, birthing something. So he's saying rejoice. Childbearing, birthing is a rejoiceful, joyous time. And so be glad for her, all you who love her, and rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied. So there's something from her consoling breast. That's that comfort word, that consoling breast. And there's this imagery of a mother nursing a child and be satisfied from her consoling breast that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. Have you ever witnessed maybe your own kids or maybe on television or something, a, a baby uh, nursing and they just eat and eat and eat, and the milk begins to run out, and they have to put, you know, a, a towel or a napkin under there and, and, and uh, something they have to have handy because it'll just flow all over their mouths and just this abundance of milk is coming out. And the more that they nurse, the more milk those breasts produce, and there's just an abundance and an overflow. And this is the imagery there. It's the, uh, that out of what God is doing and birthing out of Jerusalem, there is going to be this... Uh, satisfaction, uh, consoling at the breast. It's going to be comforting. It's going to be drinking deeply with delight. It just seems like a baby just kind of smiles and just is is just is is so comforted and 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 you know and then when they stop you know I just I, I see images of our kids when they were little and just kind of milk running down their chin and the you know the towel or taking it from Teresa you know and just being all wet you know under there like there's this abundance you know that just overflowed they were just they just kept suckling and it just flowed all over I mean that's the imagery here Isaiah is using come on mamas it's Mother's Day and you're looking at me you shouldn't know about those things Uh, but I do (laughs) and it says and and so this there's, there's this idea that what God is doing it's so good. It's so satisfying. It's so, it's not just part way. It's full of overflowing abundance. And, it, and God creates this imagery. So not only is Jerusalem this real place that God's going to do this out of, but it's also metaphorically God's people. God is going to do something, and it's going to be through his people, to his people, and then through his people. And we know that Jesus, when he walked this earth, he looked over a real city and he had compassion for it. But you know it's not like for buildings, right? 
uh, you know, it's, it's way beyond that. So when Jesus ties this metaphor in of Isaiah in several places, Jesus quotes Isaiah uh, more than any other prophet. The New Testament prophet, uh, uh, scriptures, apostles, all the New Testament writers quote Isaiah more than any other prophet by far. So Isaiah is just really interwoven here. And Jesus, when he's looking over Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry, when he's going to be returning for the last time, and he knows what's coming upon him in Matthew twenty three thirty seven, Jesus says this. Hear the word of the Lord. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. He's saying, I long to, this is Jesus, the we know from Hebrews 1, he is the exact representation of the nature of God. So Jesus is perfectly reflecting the perfect love of God. And here he's crying out over this city twice, saying it twice, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And there's emphasis in that when you say something twice. It's like saying um, very, adding an adjective to it. And so he has that mothering. Again, you hear this mothering imagery of a hen gathering her brood under her wings. He desires to protect and to love and to comfort them from all the things uh, that, that are in this world. And yet, as a city, as a people, as a nation, they were unwilling to come. So here we see Jesus over Jerusalem He's acknowledging there, he says, that I would have gathered your children. Whose children? Jerusalem's children. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, have, I would have gathered your children, Jerusalem. He's looking, uh, the, the people that God had formed into a nation. He would have loved to gather them. Jerusalem is the center and the representation of God's people, of, of God's, of Jerusalem is the mother bearing the children. For God, that metaphor. And the Bible has these kind of um, two different ways that I mentioned earlier about mentioning uh, about, about God's people, about not just Jerusalem and Zion, and that's the more the feminine name, but Israel being the masculine name. And so here he's talking again about Jerusalem. He's using that imagery, and he's using that feminine, uh, the feminine uh, uh, nouns, and he's talking about being like a mother that would gather her hands under her brood. So these texts and these imageries and this poetry all fits together uh, very beautifully. There's people that study Isaiah just for the sheer beauty, people that love to study po- poetry just to study Isaiah and his writings because how beautifully it's formed and formulated and written, truly inspired by God. We see as we get into the text in verse 12, it says, For thus says the Lord, continues this imagery of, of Jerusalem, this mother uh, metaphor. It says, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. Here's more good things. Just soak it in. Peace like a river I'll extend to her. And the glory of the nations. So he's creating, birthing this new nation. But the glory of the nations is coming to her like an overflowing stream. So they're coming into her and overflowing 
into her. So here's this nursing imagery again. It says, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip. Here's this imagery. I think I even asked Samuel. I was like, uh, I read this to him. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I picture that real well. Like a mama carries a boy on their hip right here, and they stand a lot and carry, you know, this imagery of this, of this mother and then bounce upon her knee and we'll take little babies and bounce and hang them over and burp them. And, and there's this imagery here of Isaiah continuing that. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her. There's this tenderness here of what God is doing, and he's comparing it to that tenderness and intimacy, too, that a mother has for her child. And then in verse 13, he says, and this is just kind of the key uh, meat of our text here on Mother's Day, it says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Like that, like that imagery, like all that he said there, that's what I'm going to do for you, comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That word, or over Jerusalem, God is bringing that comfort to her. And then 14, he continues. He says, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Seeing and rejoicing. Seeing is understanding, it's perceiving, it's being able to take this, what God is saying he's doing, and understand it. To dig in to the poet's heart and mind and God and understand what Isaiah is saying that he will do. Do you see it today? And if you do, your heart will rejoice in God's love. It even says that your bones shall flourish like grass. Grass, just think of grass growing, how fast it comes up and turns green. And your bones, literally in your like inner man, the all that holds you up, that your skeletal and muscles are on you. God is working in you to create that strength in your inner man, your bones, the marrow. He's the marrow flowing in those bone, bones that's like the sun when it shines on the grass and it takes that chlorophyll and turns things green and bright and the blades of grass begin to stand up strong. He is that way, that imagery here of Isaiah is is beautiful that this that, that what God's going to do is going to bring refreshing and rejoicing within and inside you. And then he says and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. So we talked last week about the servant and who we saw was Jesus and yet those who follow him are the servants. So if you know Jesus and you understand who he is, you are like the servants here. Understanding, following the servant, Jesus, the master, we are his servants. So the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. Those following Jesus will know who Jesus is. Then he says, and, so yeah, he's going to reveal himself to his servants and all that he's up to and all that he's doing. But, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Want to leave that part out? I was listening to a pastor teach on that verse, and he says, are you embarrassed about that part? I was like, yeah, I was a little like, oh, man. Especially on, on Mother's Day, I just wanted to 
kind of like, is that going to end on a high note there, you know, with the last scripture? And do I just leave it out? And you guys wouldn't notice, right? There's an indignation. I didn't know what that means, but let's go on. But I felt compelled to dig into the depth of what Isaiah was saying and reading and studying the whole uh, chapter 66. It was hard to not see what God was saying there, show indignation against his, his enemies. Because we see in several other places in Isaiah 66, um, verse 6, it says, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. So God is dealing out judgment and justice to his enemies, God's enemies. He's dealing out recompense to them. And this is a part of the good news. This is a part of, of the gospel, that God is a just and holy God that judges righteously. And do we have a need and a cry of, in our heart for justice to be done? I think we do. I think everybody does, especially mamas. Um, and I saw this news report about uh, this mama whose son um, had been killed, and she was going out like, I'm going to find the person, you know, and they're letting this case go, and it's going cold, and I'm just going out because I want justice. And this wasn't, you know, a Christian mom, but there's a cry in everybody's heart for just and righteous judgment. And when we look at just <clears throat> super um, evil situations in the world, and we think, it seemed like they got off easy, you know, how could... And we, we talk about Hitler a lot, you know, kill, be responsible for killing, exterminating over six million people, six million Jews, and just, you know, shoot himself in the head and he's done. That doesn't seem like, don't, you know, and I've heard atheists say um, that in talking about this, that one of the things that Christians are shying away from is talking about hell. And he says, I think that's their best doctrine. He says, why are they sharing, shying away from it? They want to put it under. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to preach. He, and he, he was an atheist guy. He goes, I don't believe all of this. But he goes, that's the one doctrine I like, that somebody like Hitler just shooting himself is not going to get away with what he did. He's going to stand before a just and holy God and receive the justice due. I like that. And I thought, wow, maybe we, need, we as a people do need to look at this portion of how Isaiah ends. So not only does he say that uh, in 6, six that the recompense to his enemies, not only does he say at the end of our portion of Scripture in verse 14 about God judging his enemies, but he says it in the very last verse of Isaiah. And it's even more lengthy. Uh, he says, It's a place for those who have rebelled against God, he said, a place of eternal death where the worm never dies and the fires never quench. Did you guys know that's how Isaiah ends? It's the last verse of Isaiah. And if you're embarrassed about that, then you'll be embarrassed with what Jesus said too because Jesus quotes that exact verse. So in Jesus, believe it or not, people that like him, think he was a cool dude, um, talked about hell more than anybody, any prophet, any person in the Bible he warned more, the same person that said he would be like that mother hen that would uh, want to gather us under his wings and protect us. He's also the one that also in his love and comfort warned about a place called hell. 
And so he quotes this in Mark 9, uh, 47 through 48. Jesus says, There, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye uh, than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. And then he quotes Isaiah about what hell is, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So he warns about a place, no matter how you want to interpret it, and I've heard people interpret it, downplay it, say it's this, say it's all kinds of things. In each way that they explain it, it's not a good place, no matter how they explain it. Uh, It's a place that you don't want to go. And so there is this in Isaiah, these two clear endings. And I believe a part of comforting is to tell people the truth. I believe a part of love and comfort is to tell uh, people and to warn them. And that's what Jesus did. He warned people. There's a Scottish pastor that I listen to some, Sinclair Ferguson, and in his land in Scotland, uh, similar to places in Ireland and stuff, but they have these uh, just steep, steep, stark cliffs that go down to the ocean and coming up is rock and then at the top is all the soil and dirt and it comes up and it's right on the edge there. People want a tourist get off the path and they start walking to just get close to the edge, you know, because they want to just look over the cliffs, you know. And so he said, if you're a Scotsman and you see a tourist warning off, wandering off towards those cliffs and you don't yell in warning to them, like, hey, don't get close to those cliffs because the ground begins to break loose. And there's cracks in the soil and thick grass and rains a lot, so you don't really notice it and see it. And you can get close to the edge, and then that will break away and you can plum, you know, plummet to your death. And he says, if you don't warn people, like cry out to them, hey, get back on the trail, don't get close to that. You know, you'll fall to your death and even go over there towards them and warn them to get back. He says, you're not a loving person. And he's got some of that see a tourist going over there just said, you would not be... Uh, a loving person, not to warn them. And this is the same thing that I see. If we see that the truth of the Bible and the truth of what Isaiah is saying here in these closing verses and what Jesus himself spoke of so much in warning, then how can we be people who are comforting to others if we will not speak the truth to them? Jesus said it in his closing, just like Isaiah. There's two clear paths. You can be a friend of God. You can be this person in the end of our text that the Lord has revealed himself to his servants, but he'll show indignation to his enemies. And there's these two clear paths, either a servant in Isaiah or an enemy of God. And the Bible makes these two paths clear, and it warns, Isaiah warns, Jesus warns, and in another place Jesus warned toward the very end of his life in Matthew 25, he begins to talk about sheep and goats, and those on his left hand and those on his right. And he says there's just these two, two um, animals, sheep and goats, and, and there's only two sides, his left and his right. And the verse 41 says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a place, Jesus is saying, that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a place of hell. And again, he mentions here uh, this aspect from Isaiah that it's a place where the fire is not quenched. So Jesus, believe it or not, 
the exact reflection of the nature of God, God's love, shows us that warning is a way of comforting, and you cannot comfort without confronting people with the truth that there are only two outcomes to our life here. In, the, in, in uh, his classic Knowing God, J.I. Packer, uh, it's just something that has continued and con- continued a part of his work that has lived. J.I. Packer writes, Of the goodness of God and the severity of God. And he says this, The character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. The character of God demands that. Just listen to who God is. This is who God is. This is who the God of the Bible, J.I. Packer, is summing up who the character of God is from Isaiah to Jesus to the prophets to the apostles. This is something that is said over and over again through through the Scripture, that all wrongs will be righted someday. Justice will be done. God is a just and holy judge. And he goes on to say when the when God's wrath, when the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, arrives, and retribution will be exact, and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. There'll be no big like, oh, this didn't happen. That person didn't get his due. This person didn't get his due. None of that will remain. God's justice, J.I. Packer saying, will be perfect and satisfying because he knows all things. You know how a judge doesn't know everything? They hear this person's testimony of that and they make the best judgment they can. God knows everything and his justice will be based on that knowledge. God is this kind of judge and so justice will be done. J.I. Packer, close quote. So comfort, what we've learned today is knowing God and knowing that he will carry out his perfect justice, that all wrongs will be righted. It is, it is all in God's hand, hands, this judgment. It's not, not ours. This is another freeing thing that it does. If you know God's going to retribute justice out one day, we don't have to go and retribute our own justice out. We go, I will leave vengeance to you, God, because you know all things. And your justice is going to be... Uh, Fearful, especially for those who don't know you. It's going to be more just than the justice you could deal out. And so that is a thing that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans uh, 12, about God's judgment, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we know he, we leave all that to his hands. It says uh, that we are, though, to warn people of these two paths. We're to be that way in that we are to try to encourage people to be in Christ. And here's what I want to say. That Romans 8, 1 says, If you are in Christ, he says, Therefore, in the opening of Romans chapter 8, all those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. That means no judgment. No judgment is left. I want you to hear this. If you in this life come to the cross right now, this is your only hope to escape the judgment of God in, in the afterlife is to right now in your life come to God and meet him at the cross where he dealt out justice upon his son in your place. And if you give your sin to Jesus upon that cross and you say humbly, I am a sinner, 
I deserve your just and righteous wrath, God, but you have given me the gift of grace and your son Jesus, and you confess that to him, God judges your sin in Christ now. And the Bible, Romans 8, 1, saying there is therefore now no condemnation, no more judgment can be left for you. You are his, you're justified. It's like a court ruling. The judge comes down and says, no more condemnation for you. Boom! Woo! That is the glorious good news of coming to him now. And that's the comfort in the gospel. And that is what we warn people. And that's what good mothers do. They teach and they train their children in these things as priority above everything else they do in their life. They love their children. Yes, they they nurse them. They abundantly overflow with them. They bounce them on their knees. They carry them there on their hips. They share their life. They give their life to them. But they warn them, there's only two paths for you, son. There's only two paths for you, daughter. And either come to Jesus now and let him retribute his justice out that he did upon Jesus upon the cross and bring you his forgiveness through his shed blood. And this is what good mothers do. And we've had people like that in our lives. And I want to encourage each woman here, if you're not a biological mother or, or we didn't have you know, our biological mother, there's somebody in our lives that is a woman that meets that in God, who brings those things to us in God. God has a way in his family. And I want to, I told uh, Karen that I was going to mention Mother Ingrid today uh, because uh, my mother died young. And as I got to talking to, to Mother Ingrid here, uh, Karen's uh, brother Mark had died. He was right about my age. And Ingrid shared that whole story with me. And uh, so she just kind of told me one day, would you be my son? And uh, I said, yes, if you'll be my mom. And she said, yes. And we built this bond over especially the last about 15 years uh, of my life. And she died this last October, October 10th. And she would love it right now to hear me up here talking about her. Her head would just get big, uh, you know. And the bigger, the better for her. I was talking to Karen about I missed going out and getting her a Mother's Day card. And uh, I got her one year this card. It was the biggest one. You know, I thought it was about this big. Karen said, no, it's about this big. And I was like, really, it was that big? I know I got the biggest one. But every year I'd give her another card. She'd go, well, that other one you got me. You know, remember that real big one? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I never lived up to that year. So I went downhill. But I, I just love her, and I love the way the body of Christ can do that. That there are, I'm not just, see, God's using this imagery And he's not just saying it's a biological thing. Obviously, it's not a biological thing. God is the Father. But he's using metaphor and imagery of what he created in mothers to show his tenderness toward his people. And so I want us to soak and meditate in that. And I want each of you women, uh, the the other people that you've taken under your wings, uh, you know, all of us are adopted. All of us are adopted into God's family through the spirit of adoption. We're all uh, sons and daughters biologically of Adam. We're all descendants of Adam, and we have to be spiritually adopted by God in Jesus through his spirit. So we need to go out there and and do that and just adopt others under the wings of the church. And that is what this text is about. It's the birth of God's church that he did in a day. And in a day um, on Pentecost, when Peter got up and preached the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, literally in one preaching, 3,000 people were just birthed like that into a new nation 
And it spread like wildfire from Jerusalem. From her was birthed this church that God created, a new people made up of Jews and Gentiles and every nation and every tongue. God just put it all together and he said, all the nations are coming to you. All the nations are coming to you and coming. And this is the eclectic, multi-ethnic, multi-race. Every nation and tongue, every tongue that is spoken will be a part of the church And so this is that beautiful thing that Isaiah is preaching on right here in Isaiah 66. And besides hell, the verse right before that closing, you probably would rather read those, 22 and 23, it's all about the new heavens and the new earth that that God brings to the birth of this nation. And that's where we're headed as a people and as a church. Can you say amen? Amen. So we like to celebrate uh, a meal together. And this meal is in the... Uh, front of you in these little cups if you'd like to join us with uh, communion we'll close with the just our hearts full of the word and singing of the glories of Jesus on this great Mother's Day I love all you mothers and I honor you today I'm thankful for the bond that you have with your children it's a gift from God good to see mothers and daughters here together to see families on the night that Jesus was betrayed pull this out take the bread out he took bread and he gave thanks to the father for it he said this is my body take and eat do this in remembrance of me let us partake together Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of your Son. Thank you for his body that was broken for us. Thank you for his body that was bruised for our iniquities. Thank you for his body that was pierced for our transgressions. Thank you for Isaiah's words, your prophet, his beautiful writing, his imagery of who your Son Jesus would be and all that he would fulfill out of your love for your people. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. Thank you, Father, that Jesus gave his blood for us. You said in the Bible that life was in the blood. So Jesus gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us that we might know the intimacy of you, God, that we might be just nourished in Jesus. And in Jesus, you birthed your body, your church, your people, and help us to just go out and proclaim this good news of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus to all those around us, that we should love them and tell them the truth, Father. Share the gospel with them and share our lives with them. We ask that we would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.